Chip Bell. Welcome to the New Futurist Podcast. All right. Yeah. I feel like I'm on a movie set. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's that's the the feeling I try to go for. But you're the first person who's actually acknowledged that. So thank you, thank you. And for those of you tuning in, listening right now, welcome to the New Futurist Podcast. I'm excited about my guest today. This is Mr. Chip Bell, somebody who I've had the pleasure of knowing for a couple years now. Or has it yeah. been three years? Yeah, so Chip, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, we met in Georgia, where Chip lives. Right. Yeah, where was it? Um, is it Lake Wiley? Lake, Lake Wiley. Lake Oconee. Oconee. Where is Wiley? Yeah. Wiley, because close to where you live. Okay, that's right. So I cross over Wiley when I come from Correct. North Carolina Correct. down to yeah. Right. Nice, very nice. Well, so for those of you who have not heard of Chip Bell, Chip is a legend. Uh, really, it doesn't do justice, but you're a legend in the customer service space. Uh, some of the most exciting things, or just mind-blowing things I've heard that uh, organizations have done based on the work that you've done with them, has really has kept me interested in the work you're doing now. It's kept me interested in, you know, every time I hear from you or see something from you, I'm always wondering, like, oh, okay, what's Chip up to? You know, so this guy's been around the block. He, he knows what's going on. But the, the uh, story that I'm thinking of here, Chip, and you're going to have to elaborate on this a little bit because I think it will help to speak to the creativity and the forward thinking that you bring to organizations when it comes to customer service. And this was with a hotel chain, and it was around utilizing big data to anticipate the customer's preferences inside their organizations. Sure. Who was that? What organization was that? If you can tell me. The Ritz-Carlton. Ritz yeah. This is my, every time I go to a hotel now, whether it's, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, any, any of them, Hilton. Yeah, they have, they have a, a customer preference system and um, it's called Mystique. Mm -hmm. uh, in, inside, they would know it is Mystique. But it's designed to help personalize the customer's experience, um, but to do it in a way that is not creepy. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a whole goal. My work with them was trying to find that balance because we all like personalization, um, and but there is a point at which um, where are the cameras are they watching me that kind of thing which we don't like, and right. so it's a it's a it's an important thing. They are really really great at uh, at creating a. An experience that caused the guests to feel like they're they're the only one there, and uh, everybody's working on their behalf. So it's a great customer. It's you know their whole legendary, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen is um, is part of their claim. I, I've had the good fortune to work with um, Horace Schulze, who started the Ritz Carlton, um, but I also worked with with Simon Cooper, who followed him, and now it's Hervé Homler who endorsed my last book. Um, so at any rate, they're, they're a great organization owned by the Marriott. So mm -hmm. many, many people don't know that. When Marriott uh, bought them as their luxury, they were looking at Four Seasons and Ritz-Carlton, but they bought them um, primarily to leave them alone, essentially, so, so that they would benefit from, obviously, volume kind of things that Marriott could bring from a financial standpoint. But they didn't want to mess up a, a really great um, uh, brand. And so they, and they wanted to learn from them and to bring a lot of the things Rich Carlton does that make it so unique to the rest of the Marriott chain. So they've, yeah. they've done a great job at that. No, it's I love great, that. Great company. <clears throat> well, I love that story too. And that was, how many years ago was that? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I worked with them 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, but I'll tell you where it all started. Where's that? That whole concept of personalization all started in the Philippines. 
in the Philippines, they had um, hotels, the high-end hotels. Obviously, we had dirt floors and made out of thatch. And so when the housekeeper would um, would leave the room, she would take a broom straw, break it off, and lean it against the door. And so that way, on the in the hallway, so to speak, and that way, if the, she approached the room to clean it and she was still there where she left at the evening, that had been left there the evening before, she knew the guests were still in the room. If it was not leaning against it, then she knew they were probably gone and she could go in and clean the room without interrupting them. And so that whole concept of what can we do to create techniques and artifacts that will help us create the most best experience the guests can have started there started with that wow. kind of pra practice it's kind yeah. of cool that is really cool i like that yeah, yeah. well the reason I, I asked how long ago that was is because if you were to say oh we started this last year it wouldn't be nearly as impressive but 10 yeah. 12 years ago oh, it was very 15. impressive 15 yeah. years ago yeah, yeah i lose track of time as well i blame that on my me kids too. i don't know yeah yeah before this call i said oh yeah uh, you know it's well no actually in the this shows you have lost track of time while we were recording here i said chip and i've known each other for a couple of years but i think it's been more like three three and a half I guess too, yeah. yeah oh Absolutely. man well so chip anyway that's that's one of my favorite stories about some of the work you've done there's so many that we obviously won't be able to cover here but but you've just launched a new book and yes. i want and i want us to talk about this today it's called inside the customer's imagination. Absolutely. Right. Inside your customer's imagination, the subtitle is Five Secrets for Creating Breakthrough Products, Services, and Solutions. All right. Yeah. So it's all designed around the fact that every organization on the planet knows they're supposed to innovate. Right. So you got to come out with new stuff all the time or you're, you go under. You, yeah. You know. That's right. And so most of them, if they're coming up with a new product or a new service, turn to their R&D or best practices of other organizations. They create innovation centers or whatever. And I obviously, by store, the customer said, well, why don't you ask your customers? Not only that, ask them, but why don't you involve the customer uh, in ways that are more like a partnership? So you're literally co-creating stuff uh, together. And so the book is about how to do that. And, and um it's built around five secrets, and those five secrets, which I'll share with you here, if, if your listeners promise not to tell anybody. But um, listeners, make the promise yeah, to yourselves right. now. <laughs> right, you're right. Hand. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, um, I studied the innovative companies of the world that we all know. You know, we can all name them. If you ask uh, people, what's the five most innovative companies in the world? People would name the same companies. Yeah. They Amazon, Google, right. Pixar, the big noble ones. Same, yeah. same companies. And so you go inside most of their companies and you look at their culture and say, what are the features of their culture? And what you find are the same kind of things. They're incredibly curious. Uh, so there's one secret. They are grounded and focused on what they're about. They don't get sidetracked with little rabbit holes. Um, they are they're willing to do risk-taking I call it discovery um, they are built of a trust-based environment so people feel comfortable taking risks saying things uh, and finally they're passionate about what they do so those five secrets of curiosity grounding um, discovery the truth or trust and um, and passion are the secrets that the books built around and they're designed to say, okay, what if you took those same elements you find in a, an innovative culture and applied them to a relationship? Hmm. And the byproduct of that is you create something that is more innovative with a customer. Because 
you know, I like to think imagination is something on the inside and, and it's accessed only by a door open from the inside, so to speak. And so how do you get your customers to want to open that door and give you access to their half-baked ideas and crazy ideas? Um, you got to have a relationship that creates safety. And so a partnership that's based on a collaborative relationship is part of the secret to getting them to willingly share with you the insights that could lead to a, a breakthrough product or service or solution. So is it more when so this is interesting because at first I'm thinking oh well it's it's a more personalized way to survey if you will for lack of a better word your customers but it's more than that oh it uh, is much more is. so that's what I wanted to find out here is um, yeah. are you, because well, most yeah well I just think well let me see most situations like this a company brings a product to you know the customer and then the customer gives them feedback but this sounds like a much more intimate way of because that way it's old school right i mean that's right that's right that's so tell us a little bit more but what so differentiates it from of, that yeah instead of, of you creating um offerings for or on behalf of the customer you're creating them with the customer i'll give you an example um i go to a liquor store not very often jared not very often <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while, I've been known to go into my friend's uh, liquor store. On some occasions. On some occasions. Uh, Matt decided he wanted to have his own brand of bourbon. Now, I'm, I'm a Jack Daniels guy. And so, um, but so he got a Kentucky brewery to make five different um, selection uh, brand, uh, flavors of, of bourbon. And then he got all of his customers to come in and taste test to decide which one he wanted. And he didn't care. I mean, he really didn't care. He didn't even drink, Matt doesn't drink. So he got all of his customers to come in, taste taste this. Some people wanted to come back twice, right, but right. wouldn't allow that. And so whichever one they wanted, they um, that's what he went with. Well, guess what happened? He picked, the, they picked the one out of the five that they liked, the most popular one. And, and it was not, it was kind of overwhelmingly choice, majority of them. And, and um, he sold out, he bought, hundreds and hundreds of bottles of it, had it on big display with his own black, you know, label and everything. It sold out in three days, totally sold out. Wow. Why? It's my bourbon. I helped make it. You know, people bought it who didn't even, don't even drink bourbon. People bought it for gifts to give away. Hey, look at the bourbon I helped make. And so it's that people will care if they share. And so he's now on his fifth, fifth brand of bourbon, all with the same concept of how do we get the customer's finger, you know, we did a, we did a study for the one, give me, we did a study one time with, with a pizza company, you know, that we, that's very famous pizza guy. Everybody knows this pizza company. I won't name it, but, but what we did was they said, let's find out what's important to our customers, a pizza. Well, everybody was expecting to get it focused on price, product, or process. Your pizza is not that good, or it costs too much, or it takes too long to get it to me. Okay, whatever. So um, they, that's what they expected. Those three things would be the features that they'd focus on. But we ask, because um, I've been kind of kooky, crazy, innovative type person anyway. Right. We right. ask dreamer questions because we don't care so much. We we want to know their hopes, their needs, and expectations. You got to build your company around their needs and expectations. But your innovation comes from their hopes and aspirations. So you ask things like, hey, what's something nobody's doing? What's something no pizza company's ever thought about doing? 
And so you ask them questions like that. So we are asking dreamer questions like that. And some, and we kept hearing people say, well, what about your box? And we said, the box? Yeah, your pizza box. You ain't doing anything with your pizza box. And we said, well, what do you have in mind? Well, I throw it away. Why would you want to throw away a good pizza box? You want to make something out of it. You know, you could have a puzzle on there. You could have a, on the inside. You know, you could have a, a Halloween mask at Halloween. You could have, you know, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff, coloring pet book. You know, you could do all kinds of things with the inside of the box. It never occurred to them. It was just a box to them. Right. And, and sometime later, I worked with a, with a paper company that actually made those pizza boxes. And sure enough, they did just that. I mean, they put a layer of plastic over it so, you know, it wouldn't touch the pizza. But you got, the, you got your pizza out and you finished with the box. You just peeled this tiny layer of plastic off. And now you got a coloring book or you got a Halloween mask or whatever. Any oh, number. Man. <laughs> well, it all was invented by the customer because, yeah. they, because we asked the question of what else could it do? Hmm. You know, something everybody ever thought of. And a lot of times that's, it's taking the customer into a new place uh, that allows them to go, have you ever thought about doing it like this? Have you ever thought about this? You know, a lot of stuff we enjoy didn't, you know, we didn't ask for. Nobody asked for a bicycle. You know, customers weren't saying, why don't somebody come up with a bicycle? Right. Why didn't somebody come up with a fax machine? Why didn't come up with something like FedEx? Nobody, nobody was asking for stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah. boy, we sure liked it when they got it. And so it's helping customers rethink. And sometimes you come up with a product that you think's cool, this is what the product is, and the customer goes, we got something else in mind. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a fun example. Frisbee, Frisbee. Didn't start out as a Frisbee. It was a pie. What? Jared, it's the honest truth. And you can look it up, look, you can Google Frisbee. In the late 1800s, a Frisbee, there was the Frisbee Pie Company. Now, now they spelled it F-R-I-S-B-I-E. Frisbee Pie Company, and it came in an aluminum pan. The pie came in an aluminum pan. And um, and so uh, people started eating the pie, and then they would turn it over and use it as a Frisbee. And, it, you know, college campuses, and particularly Ivy League schools, they, they'd throw it around the campus. In fact, no they'd buy pizzas to get the, get the pan, aluminum <laughs> pan. And then they'd holler, Frisbee, when they'd throw it, like you do four on a golf course, you know. Oh, they'd wow. holler, Frisbee. Well, Whammo said, hmm, there's a toy here. And they turn it into hard plastic, and the rest is history. So, you know, you can go on and on and on. Man. My point is, the customer can take you in all kind of new directions. We go, well, I never thought about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, well, what I love about that, how to do that, what I love about that is this the idea of innovation. It's one of those words. I talk about this a lot that innovation is one of the most misunderstood words because everybody thinks they know what it is. But if you really understand what it means to be innovative, most people, most organizations, like we're not interested in that because it's, you know, because it, it pushes them too far outside of what they're I'm really sure. good at doing. But at the same time, the other part of that is that uh, innovation is not in the product. It's in the way that the customer uses it. And so sure. what you just were sharing, brings, I was like, that's a perfect example. Frisbee, oh, yeah. uh, it's like, hey, they, they took this thing, they turned it this way. This is what made it innovative, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Turned, it turned into a toy. How about yeah. that? That's brilliant. You oh, know, yeah. it's interesting because what this reminds me of um, when I think about what goes on inside of organizations, I think the most underutilized or untapped resource inside organizations today and has been for a long time is all the intellectual capital that's just sitting around in the office. Now, it, oh, yeah. during this time, sitting around at home for most right. places. But the same virtually. thing, yeah. But it's the same thing. It's just now you're facing the outside and you're saying there's a lot of untapped intellectual capital out there. 
Sure. We need to go Absolutely. and maximize that because yep. we, we already have these folks' attention. You got it. Yeah. You how, it. It, I know the book is about getting inside your customer's imagination, but how does this apply also to – I'm just curious. Can, can you apply these same principles inside of an organization or is there too much at stake yeah. in the minds of people? I think it all – I wrote it with that in mind. Oh, Not good. only that, Jared, I wrote it with the idea of people taking it home and saying, you know, I can apply this to my my marriage. Yeah. My friendships. Because, you know, I'd like a relationship that's more growing or growth-oriented, passionate, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, I, I, you know, I think the same principles are – you think about it. Curiosity, grounding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, discovery. Um, you know, that you I can the, hear the music now. Truth, yeah, truth, uh, passion. Uh, they're all, they're all, they're all relationship words, and so they go wherever there is a relationship. Yeah. And so, while my focus was all about building it with a customer, because like you, I think that's an untapped resource. I, I intended it to have broader application and and to take it. It's, it's the things leaders need to do to foster those same kind of things with their employees, their associates, and so um, it's all it's all about how do you get the door open? How do you get that person to be willingly take a risk uh, and share creative off the wall uh, kind of stuff? Um, and, and they don't now. I mean, you have some do who are just who are super creative. They just go through, hey, you thought about this and this and this, but they're rare. Mm-hmm. Most, most people keep their ideas to themselves because they've kind of been taught, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to give you excuses or it won't work. Or we tried that. They got all those things going on. So they're, they're, you've got to be encouraged, and the thing that encourages them most is a, a safe relationship, which I call a partnership, because it's also grounded in collaboration, working together equally. So let's talk about this idea of a safe relationship. Let's dive in on that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Because that is one of the problems we see today. A lot of people mistrust yeah. organizations. They mistrust corporations. You know, there's such... Uh, well, it's just trust is a rare thing today. So how do you create that? How, does, how do you suggest that uh, an how individual we, company build trust? Build, you know, yeah, build, build trust that. in a relationship. I think it starts, I think it starts with um, a big R word, and that's respect. Um, you know, if it, that's the first thing. Is yeah. I, 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 If I am respected, I am valued. Um, and, and that we push for an egalitarian kind of relationship as opposed to a power-based relationship. Um, and, and let me combine those two and give you a quick example. Uh, not necessarily in an organization, but you'll get the point. Uh, my wife and I were in at the CIA two summers ago, not not the one in Langley, the one in Hyde Park, the Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> and, and, and they have three restaurants. And um, so we wanted to have restaurants and, and go to take the tour of the Culinary Institute in America. And as you know, the CIA produces the world's most greatest chefs um, in the world. And um, so we had lunch in one of the restaurants, and my wife ordered lamb chops. And the waitress said, who was graduating the next day and was going to be the sous chef at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, said to her, um, our chef recommends these be served medium rare but do you have a different opinion hmm. now think about that our chef 
who is a professor of chefs, right. recommends this, but you may have a completely different as valuable a, a, a opinion. And so it was a way to, one, communicate respect, two, to create a spirit of equality, of, of, of egalitarianism. And so to me, when that kind of uh, spirit uh, is present in an organization, uh, one of the byproducts is trust. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. I think another is, and I write about this in the book, is h how mistakes are dealt with. How do we treat mistakes? Um, I trust you when, if I make a mistake, I'm not judged. I'm, I trust that if I make a mistake, you assume my best interests are at heart. I screwed up, but uh, you know my heart was in the right place. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to get from that is not rebuke. I'm going to get perhaps some um, coaching or an opportunity to learn from it yeah. or an opportunity to try it again. Uh, I'm certainly not going to get a rebuke. And so I think those kind of things are often, we still harbor a lot of that old power-based relationships in organizations. I'm the boss. I am the snoopervisor. Um, and, and, and my job is to get compliance. I don't really care about commitment. I want compliance. You do what I tell you to do because that's my, you know. And so there's still a lot of that, although we've worked hard in those organizations to kind of do what Deming suggested, driving fear out of the workplace. Nevertheless, it's still there, you know. And, and sometimes it's there and we don't really know it's there until it's awfully subtle. It's like, yeah. do you have a racial bias? We probably all do, you know, and we don't even realize it and we don't even sense it, you know. Um, you know, I just read recently read a blog that somebody wrote about how many great movies there were where people were in the movie trying to do the right thing, but in the end were not really helping in a racial situation like the help, uh -huh. like um, the blind side, mm -hmm. um, you know, movies where people rather than saying, I'm going to work to help change the system, said, I'm going to I'm going to work to help spotlight a particular problem to help an individual i'm gonna be their savior was, uh -huh. the, use, was the word they used and and not and this these are examples where we go i never thought about it kind of like that i never looked at it through that angle where where we're doing things in an organization that are are power oriented power based and and it's so subtle we don't know it until somebody said let me describe to you how that impacts me, and you probably don't even realize it, but mm -hmm. here's how it impacts me. And, and so it's, I think that's what I tried to do in the, in the book. And it's mainly, I think another one, uh, if I can have another one, is yeah. all the ways that we use truth and transparency. And, and we live in a society, and I use this in the book, we live in a society where we sing, tolerate a lot of sort of mistruths mm. not that's totally. putting it lightly <laughs> yeah well think about it oh, you, yeah. you, you're at a trial and you're on stand and you put your hand on the bible and you raise the bible you raise your hand and you say i swear to tell the truth mm -hmm. a period doesn't go there does it no we can't, can't have to keep going the whole truth doesn't yeah. stop there and nothing but the truth so help me god yeah. So you want to know, why Why are you going to all of that? Why not just say, I swear to tell the truth? Why is that another? It's because too many times people tell white lies. They aren't totally honest, and so we got to really hammer it home, which to me is not totally transparent, you know? 
No. I, I, I was when we were flying. I was on a flight, and we landed, and the pilot came on board and said, "Ladies and gentlemen, another on-time arrival with Mayday Air Airlines." And I looked at my iPhone, and I go, "No, we're 14 minutes late." <laughs> and as we're getting off, I said to the pilot who's standing in the doorway, "I said, we didn't have an on-time late. We're 14 minutes late." Oh no, no FAA gives us a 15-minute grace period. <laughs> Because we can't predict what's going to happen out on the tarmac. It's kind of like you in the business world have EBITDA, you know, because people can't influence interest and tax. So we have to count differently. And so they give us a 15-minute grace period. And I go, what? why not be transparent to your passengers? And he goes, well, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I said, can you imagine? This is what I asked you. I said, can you imagine? You know that great song from My Fair Lady? Can you imagine it going, get me to the church within 15 minutes of the wedding? <laughs> oh he man! Shook his head. He just shook his head. I can't believe he'd actually justify that. I mean, common sense would well, say, know. "What well, do I need know. to explain the FAA rules, the internal yeah, well, workings?" Last, I bet you've been to fast food restaurant, fast food restaurants, and when they say, "You know, uh, it's going to take a little," could you pull over to the parking lot? Yeah, you know, and park it. We'll bring it out to you. And you go, wait, a minute, wait, 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 wait. No, ain't nobody behind me. I'm gonna sit here. Oh no, you can't sit there. Why? Because you'll mess up our in the in the drive-in time. I go, but you're faking it by making me pull over there. Oh man, you know it's not a real number. Man, it's not a real number. You get a real number if I sit here. Yeah. Then you fix something else in the back system because, oh man, and we're sitting. Too many people are having to sit there too long waiting on their stuff. But we we cover it. We cover it, and everybody all the way to the CEO knows we're covering it by saying pull over to the parking lot and we'll take up an employee's time to stop and bring it out to you when you could just i, I have had done this yeah i've been been in a drive-in there was nobody behind me i said look i tell you what let me just sit here if somebody comes up behind me i'll move right that you don't have to bring it out you can just hand it to the window oh no 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 you're gonna get me in trouble you have to pull <laughs> you're gonna mess up my number i had no idea that's what the only time so I, I don't go to fast food very often, Yeah. but when we travel to Georgia yeah. to go yeah. visit yeah. family, yeah. I'm, and I'm wondering, is this, this is a Georgia thing, right? I know it's not, no, but, that, it's not. But, it, but that's where it happens. It's on our way. Yeah. Well, it's usually between South yeah. Carolina and Georgia. We've got everywhere. the kids in the car. Every, so, and every chain. It's yeah. not just some chain, fast food chain. So that seems like a problem of incentives They got it, they, or the way that they measure things. But what does it do to the truth? Exactly. <laughs> it just it makes you... Yeah. So what's to do to trust within the organization? I didn't even know that's what was going on because the times that I've been asked to pull over, there have been cars behind me. Well, so sure. I was like, oh, that's legit. So now that's really interesting. I'm going to think about that when we go on a road trip. It's like, well, I know I'm what's just going saying, on. when you have a, a keep naming off subtle things like this, the byproduct is, to your point, so where, why do we not have trust within an organization? It's the accumulation of things like that right. that deteriorates the trust subtly. And we sometimes, like my racial... Uh, you know, uh, example. Yeah. We don't even sort of sense it or realize, but but yet it's there. Sure. When I point out something like that, you go, oh, I never thought about it like that. But you're right. So yeah. Anyway. Well, and you know, I think, and I think that part of that, because that is a that is a big issue today, is just the is the safety of of. Uh, and I want to see. I don't know. I want to use safety carefully here, right? Like I'm. I am somebody who's. So I know I'm. Uh, this may not be the most popular opinion, but I do not equate emotional safety with physical safety the two are very right. different i think we have sure. to be always clear on hey yeah. well, if we're gonna have an atmosphere of trust if somebody yeah. says something offensive 
it's not violence, you know, no, it's no, more, no. And, the, and I know that's not what you're saying, but I, so I want to preface this here too, sure. because I think clarity is so important. Uh, what we're also lacking, and I'll reference one of your other books, Kaleidoscope, which I'm holding up yeah. here, is this idea of grace, right? Yes. yes. That, we lack in that so much today oh, as sure. people. And what you're talking about, if, if somebody brings something to you and say, I've never even thought about that, the next step is, cool, let's talk about that, right? Yeah, it's unconditional acceptance. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, great, right. because then we can have dialogue, which seems to be yeah. at least what's highlighted the media, which is just negligent exactly. on all sides exactly. of the aisle. They're just, uh, right. I'm so right. fed up with the media. It, oh, yeah. It's, you know, they're highlighting the things that do not represent the vast majority of people. Absolutely. I, most people, and I know that you go out and you meet, these are decent people. And yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Right? But I if you watch the news, you think everybody is awful. And I, so, I, wish we, I wish we had a news outlet that would report the news, period. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd start, let's start without one. Without bias, without spin, just the facts. Right. Well, <laughs> there, yeah. You know, I don't know if I've thought about that. I don't know if it would be possible. But we used to. Years, yeah. years ago, we'd listen to you know, David Brinkley or Walter Cronkite, and you, you, you might know they were Democrat or Republican, but you couldn't pick it out with what they said or even sure. implied because they were professional news people who were there to report the news, not the spin, not yeah. an opinion, not a, you know, so we yeah. don't have that anymore. It's too no. hard to find just the facts. It's yeah. true. It's true. And so yeah. we think about that's part of the reason why this this culture of trust is eroded so yeah. much. So I do think that's important is we as people have to remember we have to approach each other as people, right? Yeah. We have to yeah. connect with each other in, in this crazy digital world. We have to connect with each other on that level to create that open, safe space. Of, right. When I say safe space, again, I always have to come back. So like, I'm not talking about right. these college kids screaming and yelling. I'm talking about okay. a genuine safe space where cool things can happen to say, look, sure. you as a customer, we're not going to take advantage of you. You know, like just pull all these great ideas and go make money off of it. And you're stuck over here. We actually want to bring you in and make you part of the process. We want to Absolutely. share this this experience. Absolutely. And that's huge. You know, I think yeah. that's that's oh, yeah. really, really, it, really that, cool. That uh, bringing them together has produced some really cool things. You know, without the customer's participation, we wouldn't have had splash sticks or cake pops or pumpkin spice latte, or Wi-Fi in the stores, all of those came from the customers. They didn't right. come from corporate in Seattle. Yeah, it's not a focus Starbucks. group that says, look, of these three options I'm giving to yeah. you that came from our own minds, yeah. which one no. do you like? It's, got the customers. we have no options, give us three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, that is cool. All right, so we, we dumped in a little bit more. If, if you think of one part of this book that most people have been resonating with. What have you found? Because out of the five, I mean, unless it's magically all five, everybody's like, we love them all the same. What is the one thing that really sticks out the most that people are really resonating with right now that can move the I needle? Think, uh, that's a great question, Jason. I think the, the one that I, Jared, I think the one that I have gotten the most comment on is the section on curiosity mm -hmm. because I've tried to take... Um, we all know we're supposed to listen to the customer. We yeah. all know that's important. What what I recommend in in uh, in the book is be the customer, and um, I'll give you an example um, of what I mean by be the customer. My wife's hairdresser is Johnny Adair, and um, Johnny has been known to get a permanent. And I said, Johnny, why do you get a permanent? He said, Well, I realized that. When a woman gets a permanent, it's one of the most embarrassing, awkward, uncomfortable things they do. 
and I wanted to feel what they feel and see what they see. And so, you know, when I get a permanent, I, I get to experience that. And it causes me to be able to make changes that will make their uh, experience better. Huh. Well, to me, that's sort of like call your own department, disguise your voice, and ask for something out of the ordinary. You know, it's a way to say, how can I enmesh myself truly in my customer's world? And I've done that with, um, with organizations um, where I've asked them to um, – we, we did it with a major um, quick service company, we'll call them. Quick service kind of huge quick service company. And um, they were, at that time, we were working with them. They did not subscribe to the view that a great customer experience mattered. Hmm. Um, if you get a great, great product at a great price and good advertising, great location, then we, we can provide an okay experience or even a mediocre experience. It's not going to matter. And I said, well, um, only way I can change your mind, these are C-suite people, only way I can change your mind is if you could experience it. And so would you be willing to take a road trip? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll be glad to. I said, okay, I want you to pick a location where one of your restaurants is within um, two or three blocks of a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> And I want you, and it's going to be in small, going to have to be in a small town where they all are pulling from the exact same labor pool. Yeah. So you can't do that. I want you to go visit each one, each one. You got to go in your street clothes. You can't look like you came out of Mahogany Road. And so, and then come back and tell me what you experienced and, and, and get the numbers and look at their numbers. Look at their numbers, look at your numbers. So they did, and they picked a, a little town in South Georgia, and they went to that little town, and they visited their restaurant in that little town. They visited Chick-fil-A. They looked at the numbers, and they came back to corporate headquarters, and then we met in the boardroom, and I said, well, what would you think? Their answer, we got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. Well, the first time, first time they realized, you know, when I experience it, and don't just look at it here in the boardroom and, well, with slides, all of a sudden I can exp I see and feel how different it is and how it would matter. Hmm. And so trying to convince them, boy, a great customer experience could make, all of a sudden they got a chance to witness a competitor. And here was, you know, what really startled them is, and as many uh, fast food restaurants will say, you know, Chick-fil-A outperforms us in six days when compared to our seven-day performance. Mm -hmm. And it's all about creating a great experience. So. Again, that's sort of being the customer yeah. and trying to live. That you know, that's an example uh, of that. So I think that's one of the eye-opening that people have. You know, if you if you were a, a I'm, I'm making this up. If you sure. were a customer anthropologist, what would you see? Hmm. You know, if you yeah. look at culture stuff, the norms, the you know how they people use time and space and. You know, put on that hat. Well, how how would that be different? Well, so. you know, I I've used Chick Fil A as an example as well because I, I think they they do an amazing job of creating this consistency across the board. Your yeah, experience oh, yeah. is it's yeah. consistent. The yeah. culture is consistent. You know, regardless yeah. of what you think about Chick Fil A right. as an organization right. and every okay. restaurant you go to, man, yeah, they're great. They're yeah, great. this is the thing that's that's such a uh, it's one of these small things that was embedded in the organization. Because, uh, as I've told you before, I graduated from Barry College. That was my undergrad. Right. So right. I used to work in uh, at their retreat center that they had up on campus as one of the chefs right. when they first were getting launched. And so I'd right. get exposed to a lot of, you know, the cultural stuff that was going on sure. there. 
And this this one saying that everybody who goes through Chick-fil-A will recognize is when you say thank you, they say my pleasure. That's my pleasure. My yeah. pleasure. That's right. And that's not an accident. They're not just being nice. Like that was no. – that is – they, yeah. yeah, I don't want to say required, but I mean, it's if you don't do it, you are going to get it in the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, uh, you commit it's to like it. a rich Carlton. If they said something other than my pleasure, you know, you go, well, you know, you're, you're not talking like we are. You know, so, what? actually, true. Kathy got that idea from the Ritz Carlton, I think. I think did. I heard it. Yeah, that's a, it's actually from uh, uh, Horst Schulze, who's um, he now has a new company, OS Spaces. But, um, he, yeah, he hired Horace Horschel to come in and wow. help look at what they could do in their language and all of that. They don't call them customers. They call them guests. You know, mm-hmm. they, So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that came out of that kind of uh, perspective. But, of course, it's, a, you know, it's all about knowing who you are and what you're about. And Truett, mm-hmm. Truett started that early because, you know, yeah. uh, there's a great story. You know, his, his restaurant was called Dwarf Grill. Did yeah. you know that? Oh, yeah. The Dwarf House. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Dwarf House. And um, and, and so he he sold hamburgers. And um, and somebody uh, who was a food uh, distributor who was making producing chicken breast for the airlines. Do you know that story? No, I don't. Okay. Man, well, you, are, you are a story factor, Chip. Well, I, I, we really I, need to have like a three-hour podcast. Like, <laughs> let's just go down the line because these yeah, are nuts. But at any rate, he, he, um, there was a food producer he knew whose job, whose uh, company made chicken breasts for the airline industry. And back then, uh, they served you meals on an airline in an aluminum tray that was divided into sections. And one year, the, and the chicken breast had to fit in that little triangle in that tray. And so one year, he his chickens hit, they were either the breasts were too large or too small, and they didn't fit the specifications. That, so we had a bunch of them left over, and he stopped by um, the dwarf house, and he asked Truett, um, I got out of all of these chicken breasts, is there anything you can do with them? Would you like them? And Truett said, absolutely, absolutely, I'll take them. I have no clue what he's <laughs> going to do with them. But he knew, he said, you know, I'm in the fast food business 24 hours a day to deliver great food to my customers, and so why would I say no? And so he began to say, well, what, what, I can, what can I do with this chicken breast? And so he created the chicken sandwich, and now he makes more chicken sandwiches than anybody on the planet. Yeah. And so, you know, it all started with his willingness to think beyond, I'm a hamburger place, I'm a hamburger place, this right. is chicken, I'm a hamburger place. And, and, and so thinking, thinking outside his normal way of doing things. And I think that's, that's kind of the, consequently, he's, create, he's created this culture, starting with him and echoed through all of his family and others who have worked there. Well, um, I think that's, I love that story. Um, I think it really helps you know, it circles back to this whole idea of getting inside the customer's imagination. Yeah. yeah. Because I know, you know, with his story, it was about being inside the experience of the customer. Right. So the imagination, the experience, it really right. is that change in perspective. Again, these are, this is not some new idea to look at the world through the eyes of the customer, but it's one of those things like innovation. Everybody's like, yeah. oh, yeah, innovation. Yeah, yeah we all know this. Yeah, yeah, but if yeah. they really know what it is, they don't want to do that. Right. You know, same right. way. If you really know, if you really know what it takes to to get in the mind of the customer and, and tap into the imagination, yeah. a lot of them are going to say, "I don't really care what they think." It's, it forces them to be right. honest. Like, I really don't care what you think. You know, and a lot right. of that's right. the way right. a lot of organizations operate. You got it. So, you got it. how you know? And I know we're get, we're getting ready to wrap up here, but. Okay. Um, 
what is the one thing that, whether it's an individual or organization, somebody who's in the business of serving other people, what is the one thing that they can do right now to, you know, just one simple thing to change the way that they're viewing their relationship with their customer to actually try and get inside the imagination? What is that? Maybe it's a question. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's something they do for themselves in order to flip that switch. But what, what do you recommend to folks? What's the easy entry point here? I Besides that, buy your book. What's the easy yeah, entry yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> About that. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, it's way. a wonderful suggestion. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the, I think owning your owning the experience and being responsible and and feeling like you know the buck stops with me. I can make this happen because I care deeply about it. Yeah. You know, um, quick story. Um, we have a Freshview market not far from where I live, and they all the stuff they sell people grow. Uh, right nearby and I was in there to buy a, a mopping sauce because I do baby back ribs and I, I I was looking for something new and the guy who waited on me said um, I, I, I've got one I think you'll love it's called Judge Klein's number nine sauce and I said okay well my only concern is is that is it gonna have something in it that'll keep me up at night keep me awake and he said sir if you don't love it I'll buy it back from you <laughs> because at this store I am the warranty. Ah, nice. So there it is. To me, that's the kind. If we could do that orientation to say, I am the warranty. Yeah. It stops with me. I take full responsibility for this relationship and for making it work. Um, you know, I, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like when you get married and say, instead of saying, I'll be responsible for my half, you be responsible to yours, to say, I'm responsible for it all. Yeah. And and the other person say I'm responsible for it all too, and so it, it, it's it's that kind of taking responsibility for the customer relationship, um, and and being that warranty. I, I think that's one. That means just flipping us, sticking it differently. Yeah. At it and saying, what can I do to demonstrate to my customer? You know, if you don't buy, if you don't like, love it, sir. I'll buy it back from you. That is so, gold. I'm, yeah, I'm the warranty. So, yeah, so I am like, warranty. Yeah, the warranty. I'm the warranty. Yeah, yeah, you don't like it? I'll take it back. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> That's and you know you see you see different folks do that. It's like full. I've done this with programs of mine. Yeah. You know, thirty day money back. You know, I'm backing this up with whatnot. But just the simplicity of I'm oh, the warranty. Sure. I love that. I am the warranty. <laughs> yeah, That's that right. is good. Okay, so let's get down to business here. Yes, Chip, sir. Before we sign off talk about where people can find this book and we're going to also put these links in the show notes and whatnot, but oh, well, let's thanks. go ahead and, and let's go ahead and yeah. talk about it. Wherever you go, wherever your listeners go to buy books is where it will be. Okay. So every, every book location, um, it's there. Okay. Um, is there an audio book by any chance? It's an audio book. Uh, are you reading it or somebody else? No, somebody else. Oh, I, I, I definitely. I know. Actually, I thought about it doing it and I, but it takes enormous amount. I don't know whether you've ever done that or not, but it's just books to over 200 pages long, yeah. and it takes a lot of patience to do that perfectly. And so I, I auditioned five people, professionals really? who read books, yeah, and well, I got their tapes and yeah. listened to them and uh, picked the one who, who read the book. So, yeah, it's available audio and obviously in Kindle. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say uh, – the other thing about you, you're one of the most recognized, sought after keynote speakers. So to me, it would be, you know, maybe maybe one of these days. I don't yeah, know. I yeah, get it. It, it does take a lot of work, but I just think, oh, if Chip was reading the book himself, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah that would cost a yeah, lot more. There's certain places in upstate New York it might not sell. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. 
Oh, uh, okay. Since country boy, we're listening. To <laughs> he came, got off a tractor, and came over here and read to us. Oh, <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly why. If we'd buy it, that you know, it's like, oh, we gotta we gotta hear this. Oh, so they back in Georgia, but they might not in some places. <laughs> oh man. Well, so so anywhere you buy books, Amazon, we're gonna put the links uh, to yeah. to buy the book uh, for sure. Chip, how can people connect with you directly? Uh, Chip, my website is easier for me to remember. Chipbell.com. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, that's what I, what I can remember. So yeah, yeah it was pretty and simple. There's a lot of stuff. If you go on the website, there are a lot of freebie things. If you go to the book page and read about it, um, you can get access to it. We and if people buy bulk copies, you know, we've got a lot of cool prizes, including yeah. uh, I must admit a songbook I wrote. Um, <laughs> but, music's a hobby of mine. You got a copy of it? Yeah, yeah, songbook, yeah. And uh, and so you get the songbook, and then you could go on the website and actually the accompaniment to the, all those songs are on the website. Yeah. So you can have your own sort of karaoke sing along. You know. I love that. I got I, when I pulled that envelope open, I saw a songbook. It's like what chip? What? As what? A, but at the same time, I thought. That's yeah, Chip. Yeah. Of course he. Is. Of course he has a song book. Yeah, well, of course, course he does. Yeah, and I wrote all. This, I wrote the words and music to every song. Yeah. Oh, I, I started reading some of the lyrics. I said, "Yep, these are. Yeah, this is Chip. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. <laughs> these are nobody else wrote. This is great. Yeah, uh, it's fun to do. Man, I love that. All right, Chip. This is this is fun. Now we got to wrap up. But uh, for anybody listening, uh, if you haven't been convinced already, Chip is one of the most entertaining but just genuine people you'll ever encounter. And. Uh, Definitely go out and buy a copy of the book. You won't regret that. Um, Chip, Thanks, I could talk to you for hours, my friend. And we just uh, might have to do a follow-up. You so, bet. Love it. I yeah, love it. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, again, go check out his book. Check out his website, chipbell.com. Um, yeah. If you don't, it's poor decision-making. That's right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Darren. Hey. My, my pleasure. <laughs> There you go. Oh, boom, full circle. Thanks a lot. All righty, take care. You too. All right, everybody, that is it for today's show. Again, thank you so much for being here. And if you have not subscribed, make sure you do that before you uh, turn this episode off. And then also visit us at thenewfuturist.com. You can find out more about our work, uh, a lot of the free resources that we have. Of course, if you want to take your strategic thinking, your decision making, or increase that skill set, uh, to drive real innovation and create the future, then you'll definitely want to check out the Foresight Academy. And you can find that on our website at thenewfuturist.com under courses, but you can also find that at theforesightacademy.com. Again, that's theforesightacademy.com. And this is something we're doing in partnership with the University of Tennessee, where uh, folks that go through this program and they complete it are uh, issued a certificate in strategic foresight from the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee. So again, check us out at thenewfuturist.com, but also if you're interested in, uh, in the Foresight Academy and getting your certificate in strategic foresight, then definitely check us out at theforesightacademy.com. As always, uh, feel free to reach out to us directly. Let us know what you think. If you've got some ideas or comments or things that you want to see us uh, or hear us talk about, we want to hear from you. We want to know. So make sure that you comment on the blog and, uh, and leave us a note. All right. Thanks again, everybody. See you soon.